Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and today we are talking about labor doulas. I am so honored and very excited to introduce today's guest, Anna Paula Markell. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Anna Paula is a dedicated visionary in the field of childbirth education and doula training. She's an author and speaker and serves on several committees and boards, including Donut International. She is who Alyssa and I went to for our doula training, and uh, I, w- I wouldn't have gone anyplace else. It was an amazing experience. Uh, you work, you train a lot of doulas. Do I you know do. how many you've trained to date? It's on the thousands. Um, my daughter wow. was trying to, to figure that out the other day. Um, no, I don't know the exact number, but it is on the thousands. I train about 200 to 250 a year, so... It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I remember our class was full. The yeah. space, it's a big space, and the space was full. And um, it was really an informative and re- rewarding experience to be there. And I have I have sort of a, an advantage, I think, over some doulas in a way, which is that because I do body work at a birth, I get to I get to go to birth and sort of watch a doula work. Lots of different doulas work, including you. We've done births together, and uh, I I just get to be sort of like a fly on the wall and really learn a lot. And um, it's amazing. Their doulas vary from doula to doula. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what it takes to become a doula, what the training is like, the scope of practice of what a doula does and doesn't do. And then towards the second half, how to sort of go about interviewing doulas and find one that's right for you. If I could start, how did you get involved in this at the beginning? What sparked your interest? Personal experience. I think the majority of doulas become doulas because something very deep and very profound cause them to do this work. You know, I have yet to meet someone that says, hey, I heard this is a great way to make some money. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. like most people, they they just feel a calling for it. Either they attend somebody else's birth or they watch a movie or they go through it themselves. I also find that from the people that have come into doula work based on their personal experiences, it's either because they've had a phenomenal birth and they want to, you know, shout to the world that this is possible, 
but also the opposite, that they want to give people what they wish they had. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was more the latter. You know, I had my oldest daughter in Brazil, where I'm from, you know, 26 years ago. And I had a cesarean that I now know I didn't need. Even though, you know, it was a, a positive experience, it really wasn't traumatic, it was a, a positive cesarean birth, I, I really, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I really wish that I had someone like Adula to, you know, just give me options and alternatives. So when I was pregnant with my third child living here in the United States, and this was about 17 years ago, I heard of doulas, which back then, you know, was still pretty new. Mm -hmm. I, I think like at the time, you know, when I became a doula, it was like five of us here in L.A., you know. It was wow, yeah. Nancy Beta, Anna Verwall, Julie Freitas. Oh, wow, the pillars. Uh, myself, yes. The pillars. <laughs> um, so, so Catherine Williams was my doula. She was a student midwife at the time, and, and I just could not believe what a difference it was to have someone, you know, listening to me, asking me questions, making me feel, you know, that I was a, a part of this, this plan and that really, you know, what I thought and what I felt and what I wanted and my curiosities to, to have some validation. So it's just like each one teaches one, you know, then I wanted to go and tell the other that, you know, and so it really was a, a very natural thing to me, even though I have no background in anything health-related. So mm -hmm. this was a, a very new chapter for what me. What were you doing before that? Fashion. My background ah, was in fashion. That, well, was, that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was my family's business, and that's what I went to school for and what I worked until I moved here. It's amazing to me that you said 17 years ago is when you heard about a doula. Yeah. And what you've accomplished in the doula world since then is, like, really awe-inspiring. That is very sweet of you to say and I think a lot of times, you know, you, you can pave some ground if you come from a different background. I think, you know, not having the 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 background in, in the birth world really just helped me to approach birth from different perspective, which helped me probably to achieve people that otherwise would have been more challenging for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I am that mainstream woman that, you know, I, I wasn't born at home. My mom did not even breastfeed me. I grew up in Sao Paulo, which is very metropolitan. You know, it's very, what's the quickest, easiest, you know, way to do things? How can I get from A to B the fastest? And, you know, that's going to get me back to work as soon as possible and my next project. So, um, you know, you mentioned just a little bit ago that doulas have such different styles. And it wasn't like that back then. You know, I remember when I took my doula training, first of all, I had to go to Ventura because, you know, in L.A., there wasn't a doula training for like eight months. So I didn't wow. want to wait that long. <laughs> so I, I went to, to Sue's birth center in, in Ventura and, you know, there was a lovely trainer, but it was five of us. In and the whole class. In the whole class. And and four of them looked exactly the same. Uh -huh. You know, they were all white, middle class women that have had home births that, you know, were more on the natural side. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I I, I really didn't look like them or, or you know, had similar stories. So it was very interesting. And a really funny piece to that was 
they were all wearing clogs, you know, dunsko clogs. <laughs> yeah. So the training finished on a Sunday night. On Monday, you know, I went to the mall and I bought myself you got some, some clogs. clogs <laughs> because I thought, you know, okay, that must be the code. I need to get the new shoes. <laughs> um, so, but today, you know, like I, I train doulas from all backgrounds. Yeah. And, and that is such a beautiful thing that has happened with the doula movement, you know, like that really anybody that has the desire to, to do this work, can do this work, and, you know, people from such vast and rich uh, cultural background or, you know, different parts of the world, it, and it's been very exciting to see doulas coming in so many different styles. I mean, our class that Alyssa and I took with you is very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I'm not a white middle class woman, and I look terrible in clogs, Um but there was really just uh, a lot of diversity in so many different ways. And uh, I stay in touch with a lot of the doulas from our class, and um, they they serve very different communities, And but they're all related. They're all sisters, uh, you know, and, and bonded on, on a deep level. And that is very true as well. And, and there is, you know, there is a very strong bond that doulas have with each other. There is, you know, that, that core desire to serve and to inform and to adapt, to adjust, to be flexible. It really does make doulas a, a very special breed. And I love that. You know, I love that we can be so different and having so much in common. And a lot that we disagree. You know, I also feel like back when I started, most doulas were, you know, anti-medications, anti-establishment. And um, doulas today, we, we can see the pros and the cons and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, that, that has changed a lot as well. Yeah. And you work with hospitals, too, in childbirth education. And and at least one hospital that I know that you work with, there's been major change over the past five to 10 years where where that advocate hat that doulas sometimes have to wear. Um, it's sort of like, hey, we're all on the same team. And we may see things a little bit differently, but we're here working together to give this this woman, this family, uh, uh, the experience that they want to have. And that's been a really uh, notable change. It is very interesting, too, because, you know, you would think like hospitals would come to doulas or, or understand doulas, you know, from the skills that we have in, in regards to comfort measures and communication skills and all of that. But I think that what's really the key that I believe most hospitals have yet to discover, perhaps some in bigger cities like the one you're mentioning have discovered that. I find that the reason that hospitals like to work with doulas or with me particularly is not necessarily because they fell in love with my Portuguese accent. <laughs> it is because I know what their consumers are looking for. Yeah. You know, pregnant people are very open with their doulas. They're very open about, oh, I wish that my hospital would have this, or I already had my first baby and I'm not going back to that hospital because they didn't have that. So doulas are going to various hospitals. So we have a, a, a vision from an outside. So we know which hospitals will have more options than others. Mm-hmm. So we can go back to a certain hospital and say, yeah, you guys, you know, it doesn't matter if we agree or don't disagree. Your clients or this potential want. clients want that. Yeah. And, you know. That's you, what speaks. I yeah, mean, exactly. For them, it's a business. Yeah. So it's like it or not, you know. And oftentimes, I, we make their jobs easier. I absolutely. Mean, the labor and delivery nurses who are into it really appreciate having having someone to kind of be with their clients the whole time. 
Uh, all right. Now that we've talked a lot about doulas, let's go back a little bit and talk about what just define. Because I remember what, the first time I heard it, the term doula was here in Los Angeles, and I had never heard it before. And I thought she slurred her word. I said, "What did you say?" <laughs> he said, "Doula. You don't have a doula." So, what is a doula? Where does the term even come from? Okay, so that's uh, an interesting borderline sad story. So the term doula actually comes from Greek, and it means servant. And when I first became a doula and I heard that, you know, it was presented to me as being a servant as a very beautiful thing, like to be of service and to serve someone. And But uh, in reality, it's not a servant by option. Oh. So it is not a beautiful word. I mm-hmm. just, um, I was working with a family from Greece and they were like, I do not understand why they would pick such a horrible well, word for such a beautiful job. So there is um, a lot of doulas that don't like to use this word. Then they would prefer to say, you know, like birth professional or, you know, labor support or, you know, but that is the the origin of the word. It was a anthropologist in the 70s. Her name was Dana Raphael. She already passed away. And she was the one that, you know, coined that term and, and started to use for this. But the story of how it began actually is a very beautiful story. So um, Kano and Klaus, Marshall Klaus and Joe Kano, pediatricians, uh, both, passed, uh, both passed away. And um, they were in... Central America going with a group of medical students to do some studying in breastfeeding. So the deal was there was about 30 medical students and they would observe labors, take notes to analyze how the labor would impact breastfeeding. They noticed that there was one particular student that every birth that student was Things would go faster, a little easier, the labor would be easier, the birth would be easier, therefore breastfeeding would be easier. Mm. So they decided to go ask the students some questions. So they observed that the student was female, had given birth before, and spoke Spanish. So in observing the labor, she would also say, you know, you can change positions. Uh, Would it feel good (laughs) if I, you know, rubbed your back? You're amazing. You're doing so good. When was the last time you emptied your bladder? Would you like some water? So they shift the study. They said, okay, how about if we had someone on a birth that had no clinical job, but it was there only for you know, the the laboring person, the the mother. So they shift the study, got amazing results, and then about five years later, then they reproduced it in the United States, and so the doula was born. Wow. When was that? That was in late 60s. Okay. So not too long ago. Not too long ago. Um, I mean... It seems like to some extent before that, there was a doula on the team. Like before we moved birth into the hospital, which is not that far back either, uh, you were always surrounded by people like that. And um, then when we did move to the hospital, nobody was allowed in with you. And so it sort of feels like the doula is kind of picking up that role. I think a lot of the birth, newer birth professions, even the childbirth educator, lactation consultant, um, even the postpartum doula, um, it's all picking up roles that were built into the village. And we sort of, the village shattered when we started moving away from our families. 
A hundred percent. I always say to people that, you know, the the job or the role of the doula is a very old job with a new name, you yeah. know. And the difference is everything back then was done more in a village, right? We we spent more time with each other. We had less layers to be peeled. So you would talk about your birth. You would talk about menstruation. You would talk about menopause. You would talk about your sex life with your community. And these days, it's not that, you know, we don't talk about it because we don't like to talk about it. But I just feel we are a little bit more isolated and we are a little bit more in a hurry. So, you know, our source of reference for those topics becomes you know, social media or any other form of media. And the doula kind of comes to put some pieces together, just kind of like connects the village in into modern day life, including, you know, using media or social media. And with childbirth education, absolutely. I think there is a huge revival in childbirth education because people imagine childbirth classes or birthing classes as, you know, a boring class to to learn about how to time contractions. Um, and it's really big picture stuff. You know, it's really about life and and being a parent. I see people that come out of your childbirth education classes, clients that we have in common, and they're always, they enjoy the class. It's And they say the same thing always, that it's both uh, in, very informative and also kind of entertaining. Yeah. So. <laughs> that may have something to do with some labor theater. <laughs> no, labor theater. No, it should be labor theater. Uh, so what role does the doula play in terms of scope? What's the scope of practice? It's of a doula? very what good do question. What do they do and not do? So I can only speak for Donor International, which is the organization that I am certified with, trained for, and, and serve on the board. Uh, I know there are many wonderful doula organizations, and I, you know, I know some are similar, some are different, but I will speak from Donna International, which, you know, has been the pioneer. Both of the, the doctors that I mentioned in the, the birth of the doula movement are two of our founders. Um, so the scope of practice of a doula, a birth doula, is we provide physical and emotional support and basically non-biased, evidence-based information. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we listen, we do a whole lot of listening, which is so important for someone who is expecting a baby. You know, everybody wants to tell a pregnant person what to do, what to buy, what class to take, you know, what to, what not to do. And and the doula really comes in and say, well, but what sounds good to you? You know, what have you always wanted to do? How do you really feel about certain things? Um, that is such a gift for someone who is going through something so, so meaningful. Um, and then we give them alternatives, you know, based in, in what the kind of experience they're looking for. We give some realistic expectations, you know, well, you know, you can't tell me that you want to, you know, have a water birth if you are going to a hospital that does not offer that. So, right. you know, if you truly want to have a water birth, either you have to find a hospital that will provide that, which in our area is not as easy, uh, or you have to go to a birthing center. So we give give them, you know, just options and alternatives that are realistic. And we also give them the reality not to scare them, but to prepare them. You know, a lot of times um, they have very um, non-realistic expectations in regards to medications. They don't know exactly what it is. Um, And then, you know, if, if you don't prepare them 
they 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 really if they walk that path they are surprised so for example an epidural which is you know as as you know a wonderful tool for paying for someone either that chooses that or that you know is exhausted or it's a great tool in in some situations but a lot of times people are very surprised of how many accessories come with an epidural, mm-hmm. you know, that they have to have the blood pressure cuff or most of the time bladder catheter, um, monitors, you know, they just think like it's a shot in the back, right. you know, and it's like magic. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So that's what we help them to be prepared. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't mean it's not an option, but it changes the, the, the atmosphere a little bit and we adapt. Yeah, and then they know what they're in for. So if they right. have it, it's not a big surprise. Right, and we can make the best of it. We can use other tools to optimize the epidural, but it's just really laying a scenario that is realistic. So that's all before, and that's just many, many meetings. That's another thing with doulas. People often think that, you know, we do a Skype session and, and then, you know, join them in the labor, which can be true in some situations, but most of the time, we meet with our clients countless times and, you know, really get to know them well, get to know their family dynamics, how they communicate with each other. And, um, you know, and when you mention different styles of doulas, another very beautiful thing of a doula, especially of a really good doula, is that we adjust to them. They mm-hmm. don't adjust to us. All right. You know, so if they want somebody that is chatty and they're in the mood to talk, I become chatty. Mm-hmm. You know, if they need silence, I become quiet. If they want a lot of touching and, and massage and, you know, holding hands, I'll do that. If they want to be left alone, I'll do that. You know, so we, we dance according to the music. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an art, you know, to, yeah. to be able to read the room and, and know when to say something or when to be quiet, when to touch or when not to touch and not to take it personal. So it's 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 beautiful to to be able to just pick up the vibe and then join in. Yeah, I mean, there's that level again. I get to observe sometimes, and there's a, a level of of really just feeling the pulse and and seeing what's happening and what's needed. And I think part of it is people are born with, and part of it you can develop over time. It, exactly, and and. Developing over time, it is a life skill that we all can use, which is, you know, um, intentionally connecting. You know, if you connect with someone, you truly, truly connect, you will know what to do. And that is very helpful as a parent. That is very helpful as a partner. That is very helpful as a friend. That Any relationship. And, you know, the bank teller, right? Yeah. You get there, you sense that the guy is having a bad day. Um, you can be a little more kind and you can, you know, go a little slower and offer a smile, you know. It's yeah, it's nice to interact with other people around you. But yeah. we're so in our own little four feet that sometimes we don't get to. But at, when you're supporting someone in labor, it's a very close connection. Yeah. And, the li- and that's where the listening really comes in, you know, because if we listen, truly listen, then it all makes sense, right? Even unrealistic behavior or... Sometimes, you know, when people are a little antagonistic or they are, you know, a little rude, it's so easy to just go to a judgmental side, which as humans we all have. But if you truly listen, then you can understand that they're coming either from a place of fear or a place of pain or trauma. Um, then then compassion has, a, has room and, and love has room. 
I know that I grow every time I go to a birth, um, just from the experience, from being part of that journey, and also oftentimes the relationship, sometimes between the laboring mother and her partner or other people in the room. It just, um, it's, it's just literally be a fly in the wall sometimes really helps me grow as, as a human being, as a father, as a husband. Um, before we take a little break, you, you train a lot of doulas. We established that. What goes into your training of a doula? So um, through Donna International, for someone to become a certified doula, they have to do um, a little bit of reading before the training. So they have like some, some basic understanding of what labor is. Then they have um, a training component of the certification, which includes the basic of uh, the labor process, you know, so anatomy and all of that, that piece of the labor. Then they have the, the coping training and, and prenatal visits and, you know, all the aspects of, you know, what do we talk about with our clients? How do we present re- information in an unbiased way? Um, and then after the training, they have um, a little bit more reading to do. And then they have uh, births that they attend, that they are observed by um, the parents and then one medical professional, which can be the midwife, the nurse or a doctor and then breastfeeding class and a little bit of um, some training on um, setting up their business and understanding, you know, how that piece works, which is also new for doulas. Um, yeah. Most doulas come into this field, not necessarily with some, some business background. And these days, you know, in order to succeed, you do need to know how to, to run a business, how to advertise yourself, how to collect money, how to do your taxes and how to have a website and all of that stuff. That's really comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we, I'm already learning a lot and the time flies by with you. You, I could talk to you for hours, but we are going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with Anna Paula Markell. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are continuing our discussion of labor doulas with Anna Paula Markell. And so I emphasize labor doulas because there's lots of different kinds of doulas. Indeed. There's labor doulas, postpartum doulas. uh, Now there's full spectrum doulas. 
Uh, and there's also a monetrice. What's yes. that? So a monetrice is someone who has medical training or some sort of a license as a nurse, um, and they provide some medical skills in addition to labor support. So, for instance, a monetrice, when working in relationship with a doctor, can at home do a cervical exam or you know some assessment of the baby or the mother that they can provide to the doctor. I don't know too many of them. You mm-hmm. know, I feel like people prefer to separate being a nurse than being a doula. But it, you know, the ones that do are are busy and they are you know they do enjoy. They they do have very solid relationship with care providers, and it seems like that's the best way to approach that. Mm-hmm. So the, I mean, they're they're more than a doula, inter- well, different than a doula because they're offering some medical element, which doulas are not medical people. Right, which I I actually believe that is one of the benefits of the doula is that we don't have to use our brain or thoughts or heart that way. We are really there for comfort mm-hmm. at that time. So, you know, it, it's just a different different set of skills. Are there also, and again, I know you represent Dona in your trainings, but are there things that, that are misnomers about what doulas do, things that people think they do but don't really do? I think the advocacy piece is always a little bit of a, a confusion there. And I think a lot of times, you know, that is one of the biggest myths I, I find about scope of practice of a doula. I have met and, and, you know, have had conversation with quite a few doulas that say they choose not to be certified because they don't agree with the scope of practice in terms of advocacy, meaning um, doulas don't speak for our clients, right? And uh, and, and my, my point to that is, Obviously, you know, if they need a blanket or if they, Mm -hmm. you know, their IV fluid bag runs out and, you know, we will let the the medical staff know. But the point of not speaking for our clients in regards to making medical decisions, it is in the end of the day for the empowerment of the client. Mm -hmm. The fact that we don't make decisions for them, it doesn't mean that we don't help them to make their own decisions. You know, these people are becoming parents. And as parents, it's part of that process to ask questions and to understand what's available. And then to say what you want and don't want. Some people are very timid when it comes to, to a medical professional. They feel that it would be disrespectful to question. So the doula really just um, empowers them to, to find a way to communicate with their team. Um, otherwise, if the doula is doing all the talking and all the negotiating, you take the power away from the from the parents. the parents you know so you know so the doula becomes the, the the superstar and the hero of the story and that's not the point at all uh, the point is really to use whatever tactics we can find to build them up and to give them the authority of mm-hmm. their labors and and their babies i think sometimes where it comes to uh, the border is when things are happening quickly mhm and things that maybe they hadn't thought through, they didn't expect they might happen to them. And and decisions are either being made very quickly or sometimes actions are being taken without 
their them knowing exactly what's happening. I think that's when sometimes doulas feel like they need to jump in and advocate. Yes, but you can still do that inside your scope of practice. And I will say, you know, another thing that has been so important in my career is also, you know, disparities. I We work in a city, Los Angeles is so diverse, right? And we serve families from all different backgrounds, including financial and racial background. Mm-hmm. And it is really messed up because, you know, you may go to the same hospital and somebody from a certain class or from a certain race will be treated completely different than others. And as a doula, when you see that, you know, it's really hard to not become an activist, right? Mm -hmm. When you see people being treated unjustly or unfair, you really have to find a way to change the system or you quit. You cannot stay in it and just watch this kind of, of situation. But you can still do that. And and we see more of what you're mentioning when it comes to, you know, low income or people of color, mm-hmm. that they are just like, you know, just just keep going there. You know, don't you don't have to bother to tell them. But I can inside my scope of practice, nothing says that I can say, hey, hold on one second. Hey, by the way parent. Do you understand what's happening? Do you have any questions? Uh, Do you want to ask your nurse, you know, why certain things are happening? So we can, we don't have to give the answer, but we can raise the question. And by raising the question, you know, they may roll their eyes, but then they will provide the information that that family deserves. Right. And I've been in that situation several times. Yeah. And, but that's where you get close. It's a delicate balance. It is. It's it a is. delicate balance. Yes. And that's when the listening and the compassion that we use for our clients also comes to the providers as well, right? You can say that with aggression or you can say that with kindness, you know, and just say, hey, I know, I know you're busy and I know things are moving fast. If it's not an emergency, you know, is it okay to repeat it to her? She probably did not understand what you said. You right. Know? I think you in particular are a master of that. I think it's something that uh, we could learn a lot just from watching you. Uh, okay. How does somebody pick a doula? We've established there's lots of different kinds of doulas, different personalities in doulas. And in this city, well, thanks with your help, uh, there's a lot of doulas to choose from. So how do you go about getting started? So I would say, you know, do some online research. I would. Most doulas these days have a website. So take a look on their website, see if their style matches yours. You know, a lot of times doulas because we are a, a creative bunch, you know, our websites represent a lot about the things we like, colors we like, styles we like. So you can see if that matches with you. Ask your friends. You know, I think like knowing doulas that have worked with your friends is always a good way to find a doula. And if you are going, you know, to a midwife or to, you know, a birthing center or to a hospital, potentially ask your care providers, if they have, you know, doulas that they would recommend. And most of the time, you know, the names match. A lot of times when I am helping people to to find the right doula for them, and I'll say certain names, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I heard of that person from Dr. Berlin mm-hmm. and from my massage therapist and my doctor, you know, so they already know that name becomes very familiar to them. So, you know, it is a small community. So I would say, you know, check more than one source. Yeah, and it's hard. Sometimes people ask me who, for a doula recommendation, and um, I like to try to narrow it down like by certain categories. Like, first of all, when are you due? 
Are you at home at a birthing center or at a hospital? Are you wanting a more natural birth or a more medicated birth? Are you, you know, what's your budget? Because uh, doulas range. On, yeah, in, big time. In, how much they charge, and um, do you want someone who's a little bit older and maybe more maternal without the baggage, or do you want somebody who's a little bit more your cohort or a little bit younger, somebody who has children matter to you or somebody who doesn't have children? Does that make a difference? Um, and there's other things, you know, also cultures. People come from different cultures. Do you want to match the culture yeah. or or sometimes specifically not match the culture. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's why it becomes a service. <laughs> you know, like I used to do exactly that. And if everybody used to tell me like, well, you know, what you're doing is like you're doula matching. You know, that's a service. You should get paid for it. And I would be like, no, I'm just matching my <laughs> friends. But it's very time consuming because you're absolutely right. You know, you or you can print a sheet of names of doulas and just give it to them. But that will take a lot of time mm -hmm. and it is it is very specific you know also where do they live you know we live in such a big city that you know it's like it, what part of town are you and who are the doulas that are close to you so yeah it is it is we have a lot to choose from it's a good problem to have it's like doula harmony doula, <laughs> well they are, there is doula match D-Harmony there is a, <laughs> oh, there's doula match doula match website. Kim James from Seattle amazing job it's a really cool website very um, cool yeah it's just done great a lot of uh, search properties in yeah. Um, so we talked about that meeting because I think most doulas will at least get on the phone or a Skype session with you and oftentimes meet with you in person to see if you're a good match for yes. each other. What are some of the questions that we might ask there to yeah, get so, a better sense? I mean, going for interviews is like one of my favorite things to do. And, you know, the questions are often similar because most people, you know, go to Google and put their like questions to ask a doula. So most people have similar questions, right? It's like, how long have you been a doula? Why you became a doula? Are you certified? Um, they So they have that. But I, I always tell doulas, the most important question that people ask you is what is your philosophy as a doula? Mm. And you know what they're asking? They're asking if I have an epidural Will you judge me? Right. You know, so they want to know, like, are you really, truly flexible or do you have a bias? You have your agenda, yeah. Yeah. And, and in reality is this. We all have biases. We all have bias. But it's important, you know, to claim, let them know, you know, if you have a bias and say, hey, you know, the bias that I may have had, I will one day use when I have my babies or I have already used for my own babies, you know. The, this is about you and what you want to do. But what I tell people that are looking for doulas, besides, you know, all the, the points that may be important to them, have you worked with my doctor before or whatever, you know, all the things that you mentioned. Well, that's an important one too. Yeah. yeah, to some people it may be important. They don't want someone that, you know, or some or maybe they know they're going to a hospital that is really big or that, you know, so they want to know, work with a doula that has been there and knows some of the tricks of working there. Um, but the most important thing is personal connection. Mm -hmm. You know, like I hear all the time that when people meet their doula, they know. You know, it's just like that person that immediately makes their shoulder come down. You know, there's just like that, oh, she gets me. You know, like I can see myself 
crying in front of this person, you know, passing gas in front of this person, mm-hmm. you know, having a moment and or saying things that I don't want to be held accountable <laughs> for, you know, yes. just like whatever needs to come out. Um, it's true. Usually when you have the right match, the doula walks in and just you feel calm just because they're there. Sometimes on the phone, you know, like I have had conversations on the phone with potential clients that I go like, oh, my God, I love her. Uh-huh. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just like I just love her. Like, you know, we have like similar sense of humor, you know, like you sometimes like you say something. It's just like it just it is a lot of that. And that doesn't mean, you know, you only work with people that you feel this magic. You know, a lot of times you like people enough and that's great and you are able to provide a great professional service and they are very satisfied with your work. But there is something about, you know, that very perfect match that, you know, is just really magic. I know that sometimes um, a patient of mine will want to do that, but their partner Mm. doesn't want to do that. And sometimes, sometimes it's because of the finances and sometimes it's because of other things. But a a common thread that comes up is they don't want to be replaced. Yeah. Those are my favorite people to work with. (laughs) No, truthfully, because, you know, first of all, I can totally understand not wanting to be replaced, right? I mean, if I was a partner of someone that was going to hire a support person, I definitely would want to be like, hey, wait a second, where do I fit in? Which is a valid question. It shows that they they are loving and they want to care and provide for. So that's a beautiful place to begin. But the the role of the doula is truly to um, enhance the role of the partner. You know, a lot of times when when it's going really well, when you truly have a partner that wants to be involved, the doula offers support to the laboring person through the partner. So I always use, you know, if I notice that the woman's lips are dry because she's thirsty, thirsty instead mm-hmm. of giving her the water I'll give the partner the water mm-hmm. and you know so that's just a, a very simple example um, because when she remembers the experience she's like oh my gosh every time I was thirsty he knew but <laughs> yeah. you know it doesn't have to be oh it was me right. so it, that's just an example and most of the times when I go for an interview especially with one of those dudes that you mentioned when they understand exactly what I do you know that I'll come to the house that I'll help them to time contractions I'll help them to you know make the decision of when to go to the hospital that I will enhance his role that I will help to provide snacks for them or whatever most of the time by the end of that interview it is the partner that goes where do I sign you know Mm -hmm. like they they really and and those are usually the ones that are like I don't know how people do without it. Right, I agree. It's a good problem to have because yeah. a lot of the partners are really hands off and don't want to get that involved. Right. So th- this is a nice problem to have. Yeah. Um. You know, Alyssa and I are both doulas, and we always hire. We had the same doula, yes. an amazing doula for every yes. birth. Um. And I feel like having her at our birth takes a lot of pressure off of me and lets me just be the loving husband that I want to be without other, you know, being concerned about getting things done that a doula would, will already think of and have done for for us, for both of us. They serve both of us. Yeah. And the, the love and the connection that the couple has, the doula will never be able to replace. So what I often tell clients is, you know, I may know labor in, in a different way that your partner may know, but your partner knows you in a way that I will never know. That's right. So we make a great team for that reason, right? So I may say like some mucus stuff may come out of you and your partner may just look at me and be like, is that normal? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it's normal. So that allows them to be present. At the same time, I may go 
touch her hair and they may say oh no you know she doesn't like when people touch her uh-huh. hair so it's it's just that combination it's a teamwork yeah. it's teamwork and also especially at a longer birth it's very nice to be able to have more than one support person so they yeah. could take little naps or during transition be refreshed or during transition it's nice to have <laughs> lots of support people sometimes um, at what point during labor I, and again, I know it varies a lot, but when would somebody expect a doula to come? Okay, so it shouldn't vary. A doula should come when she's called, when she's needed. And support looks different for different people. You know, uh, to some people, having a doula join them in labor means, you know, contractions are intensifying. It's, you know, hard to cope on our own and things are getting, you know, heated and, and fast. And so we need our doula here for physical support. A lot of times they need their doula because they're scared. Maybe the contractions are not that busy yet, mm-hmm. but they are a little insecure and they are not sure what to do. So a doula, you know, should go when when they need her. Um, and, and, and it does vary. But I do find that doulas that do a good amount of good quality prenatal visits mm-hmm. often are investing on their sleep during labor uh-huh. because those are couples that will probably not need you that soon right. because they're well prepared or taking good childbirth education classes. You know, usually when they need the doula too soon is because they, they don't know exactly what to expect or what's going to happen next. Is there an amount of time for a doula to spend at a birth where, you know, we're all human, right? So at some point you get exhausted. Mm -hmm. And what happens at that point? I would say most doulas have on their contract that after a certain amount of hours that they can call a backup. Mm -hmm. That won't cost the clients anything else. But, you know, I think I have in my contract that after 30 hours of labor that I have the freedom to call a backup either to come and help me Mm -hmm. or to replace me for a few hours. Honestly, I've never done that. But also a lot of times when I've been on labors that are beyond 30 hours, that also involves medication. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if they are sleeping, um, then I can take can little naps little too, which is also very dangerous, you know, and I, I do have to say, like when my clients have epidurals after many hours of labor, I never lay down to sleep um, because I'm afraid to be like that doula that they can't wake up, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm always like, I take naps like on a rocking chair, uh-huh. you know, like, uh, and doulas become very very good at like dozing off. You know, yeah. we can just like take like three minutes nap in between contraction and then, you know, wake up and talk it through and sleep for another three minutes. I'm jealous of there's an obs- one obstetrician in particular and she can literally just close her eyes and put her neck down and she's out. Yeah. Seven minutes, 12 minutes, doesn't matter. She yeah. gets like a little power nap and then she's, she's back up. It's like plugging in the iPhone for five minutes. I have done that, you know, quite a few times. One time I fell asleep standing up. You really? know, like, I mean, I was leaning and I, and I was like, okay, it is possible. I didn't stay asleep, but, you know, like I, I did doze off and I was like, oh, okay. I always wonder. Um, you talked about a client wanting to know philosophy. So, like, mm-hmm. do I want a natural birth? Do I want to maybe yeah. I'm, I'm open to medication or I'm open to yeah. a cesarean birth from the beginning. Uh, does a doula have a role for 
for I think oftentimes people think of a doula for either a home birth or a birthing center birth, or especially going to the hospital and going for an unmedicated mm-hmm. or uninterventional birth. But what if you know? First of all, you convert in the middle and mm-hmm. go down your birth plan and flow chart and start to add some interventions. Mm-hmm. Or if you know from the beginning you want to have interventions, you want to have medicated options uh, or a cesarean if you need one or want one. Does a doula have a role in those cases? Yes, absolutely. I think that is one of like the biggest pet peeves of doulas is that you know people think that we are only um, useful for unmedicated births. I almost want to say that you know doulas are way more needed for medicated births than unmedicated births because when someone is in labor, you know, with the force of nature, basically our job is to admire. Mm-hmm. You know, there is not much to do but just like ketchup. Um, when they have medications, they tend to have anxiety because, you know, the machine is beeping and their head is a little bit ahead of the labor sometimes. You know, what's going to happen there? You know, what if this? What if that? You know, what if the baby doesn't come down? What if my doctor doesn't make it in time? So they they do need a, a different kind of support. Also, a lot of these medications have side effects. So, for instance, itching, oh, right? Yeah. Like stuff like that. So, um, so we can help with things like that, or getting comfortable in the bed, or being creative when the baby's not in an optimal position, but mobility is limited. So, you know, it's one thing when baby's not in an optimal position and she's moving around, dancing, swinging her hips. It's another thing if she only option is to lay on her side. So that's when doulas become truly useful. It's just like being creative and finding alternatives under limited circumstances. Um, And for cesareans as well. You know, cesareans is the birth of a baby, right? We call it cesarean birth. There is a child being born. There is a family being born. So doulas in a cesarean help to bring some of that element of, you know, childbirth to the operating room. So doulas can bring certain comfort measures into the OR or engagement with the partner. I feel a lot of times during a cesarean birth, my role is bigger with the partner because they are freaking out. They are a little nervous. They are a little, you know, like, what's the noise? Why are so many people here? Where is the baby going after it comes out? So having a doula there to say, you know, this is what's going to happen next. The baby's going to go over there, and then the baby's, you know, you can go over there and touch the baby and take some pictures. So that is is very, very helpful. And then, you know, um, offer alternatives for the OR, like skin-to-skin or breastfeeding as soon as possible, um, being with them in recovery room and, and starting the attachment with the baby, you know, bringing that human component to, to a surgical birth. Yeah, we have an episode of the podcast on gentle cesarean with Dr. Shavira, yeah. Milo Shavira. And uh, he really walked through every step of the cesarean from the surgeon's perspective mm-hmm. and also what you can expect it to feel like from the birthing parent's perspective and from the non-birthing parent's perspective in ways that you can shine the spotlight a little more on the sacred birth that's taking place and not so much on the surgery that's happening. But with that said, many hospitals still don't allow a doula to come in in addition to a partner. So um, would you say there's still a role for a doula leading up to 
and after absolutely. the actual cesarean birth? Yes, absolutely. I would say, you know, in, in cesarean births that um, I'm not allowed in the OR, I will help them to manage expectations before preparing, understanding. And most of the time, in most surgical births, the, the, the mother goes in the OR first and the partner stays behind, you mm -hmm. know, until she has anesthesia. And I would say that is usually the meltdown for the, the partner moment. because, sure. like, they keep it together so much. And then the moment they have, like, those five, ten minutes alone, that's usually when they're like, what the heck is happening? You know, like, this is so hard or, you know, like, I just want to be strong. So I feel like a lot of times, like, I'm just there, like, giving that pep talk, you know, like, and also preparing them what they're going to see, what they're going to hear. Um, and for sure, after, you know, after they, they are on the other side with the baby, um, then you have, you know, family members and all these people that want to come and visit, but you are trying to set up, you know, an atmosphere that is uh, promoting bonding with the baby and breastfeeding, if that's what they're choosing to do or can do. It's, um, it's amazing. Even after all the births I've been to, just sitting and talking to you, I always learn things. Oh, likewise. I'm really, I'm really honored that you joined us today. I have two final questions, and then I hope you'll come back because I have so many more topics that I want to, I want to talk to you about because I want to learn about those topics too. Awesome. Um, my one question is is just sort of a fun one. What's one of the favorite things? Some of your favorite things in your doula bag. <laughs> uh, favorite things in my doula bag I would say you know my doula bag these days is so is more it's al almost like insignificant like I a lot of times just leave it in the car um, you can tell how experienced a doula is by the size of their doula bag you know <laughs> the, when I started yes I mean when I was a new doula it was almost embarrassing uh -huh. um, I would say bending straw oh yeah flexible straw uh, hair ties you yeah. know they forget her ties and then the hair gets in their face uh, lip balm because mm -hmm. their their mouths get dry and then lots of things for me you know mm -hmm. like I mean snacks for me toiletries for me uh, layers of clothes extra socks because if you take your Ooh. shoes off and they are in the shower your socks are gonna get wet, wet. and there's nothing worse than having like wet socks that's in true. your feet um, so I would say yeah that's about it those are great things very simple things everything else can also be adapted you know yeah Doulas I think are the creative. one thing that i that it's sort of like you are my savior for having brought to a birth is always bring a spare uh phone charger yes besides mine one for them if they forget it it's like the yes. world is coming to an end right and how much could you sell that phone charger for <laughs> like a lot of times i think about that of a hair tie i'm like you know this hair tie you can have it for a hundred dollars that's very funny uh my last thing is where do we find you online um beaniebirth.com beaniebirth.com and it's spelled b-i-n-i birth.com Anna Paula thank you so much for joining us uh, and at home thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast if you like our program please share us with your friends rate us and leave us a comment in your podcast app and be sure to visit us online for lots more pregnancy and parenting media at informedpregnancy.com <laughs> I got a whole lot of questions for you This kid's gonna test my will I got a lot to learn and my baby's too
This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. <laughs> 